The Crux of the Matter, Episode 51, 1 Timothy Chapter 3. Hello and welcome to The Crux of the Matter, the show by pastors for pastors. My name is Pastor Todd Peppercorn. Hi, and this is Professor Scott Stigmeyer. Hey, Scott. How are you today? I'm doing just great. Uh, on the whole, how are you? Uh, I am great because I got a wild hair this morning at 745 and managed to write my Sunday sermon in 20 minutes. Oh, my goodness. I know. Isn't that crazy? Every yeah. once in a while, you know, I've, I've been working on it, studying mm-hmm. and, and just kind of reflecting on it for a couple of days. And I walked into the office and sat down and like, oh, there it is. And just, you just pounded out a thousand idea. words. And there right. it is. Right. I'll right. probably look at it tomorrow and realize it's horrible. But for right <laughs> now, I'm glad because the sermon is written. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> yeah. I. I I can understand that. I never really had that. That didn't yeah. never really happen to me. No, I mean, I, I can understand that intellectually that you you just suddenly had the perfect idea and it just yeah, worked. it just and, tracked. Yeah. I I just had it and and it was kind of as I said. I've been kind of percolating for a couple of days. I've been working the last couple of weeks at trying to just trying to map farther ahead on sermons at not mm-hmm. only looking at this coming Sunday. But the Sunday following and, and, and just trying to think in terms of a little bit larger context. And, and it's helpful for me because it kind of forces me. Uh, it just gets the percolating process started mm-hmm. earlier. Yeah. So, so that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Indeed. So what are you teaching right now, my friend? What's cooking? <clears throat> so, you know, um, I'm teaching this church history class. This is I teach three um, courses on what we call core theology, or it's just sort of intro to theology for sure. freshmen, you know, new students. But, um, but I, you know, the, the one class I teach is called introduction to the, to church history and, or to the history of the church. And, um, you know, I've been teaching, um, about a period that I really don't know that well. And that is Charlemagne. I've been hmm. preaching. I've been teaching about the the Carolingian uh, dynasty and um, the Carolingian Renaissance, and we're talking about you know the right. the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth centuries, and, right? And um, you know, when I went to Sim, I, I seems like I learned a lot about the first four centuries, and then it seems like I learned a lot about the sixteenth century, and then maybe the nineteenth and twentieth centuries, but. It seems like my seminary education didn't cover the early Middle Ages all that well, yeah. or the or the early modern period all that well, or mm-hmm. at least not the courses that I took. Do you think that was the teacher or the curriculum, or do you not have any memory from that dim past? Uh, you know, I mean, I've actually commented and talked to, to to professors at the seminary about this that I don't think that we got a you know, I mean, Larry Rast came in and he started to teach what is I mean, he he's teaching American Lutheranism, sure. But other than that, there's not a whole lot of people. I guess Hannah Kadai used to teach some. 20th century stuff. Sure. But I never had I never had him for anything like that that I can recall. Hmm. I wonder who you had for medieval church then. Cuz we had a I, medieval church class. Oh, oh, I remember who I had. <laughs> <laughs> See, and it wasn't Kadai apparently. No, no, so, it wasn't it wasn't all Kadai. All right. I don't know if if we want to mention names. Do you remember Dr. Borking? Sure. 
Oh yeah, he was my medieval church. professor. He was the medieval church professor. He mm-hmm. is now like the. Uh, oh, he. I, I'm not sure if he's on the faculty at Concordia Seminary St. Louis. He, I know that he works there. I think he may actually be on the faculty, although he mostly deals with like accreditation and that and that kind of thing. But yeah, yeah. He, I yeah. had forgotten about him. Huh? Yeah. How about that? And I and I remember him teaching us about the High Middle Ages. You know, I remember right. talking Scholasticism about Aquinas. and stuff. Right? Yeah, ex- exactly. But when it came, you know, when it comes time to you know to talking about uh, the early Middle Ages, you know, from you know just post Augustine, you know, up until the you know, the great schism or something. I don't remember getting a whole lot. I mean, I've got some really great texts and I've got some really great resources and, um, you know, a lot of it's dusty and I'm just blowing dust off of things, but, um, it's really, you know, it's really fascinating. Yeah. (laughs) History is really a fascinating subject. Yeah. Well, I had, um, I had Kate, I, and, uh, for our listeners who did not uh, manage to be in that niche of students that uh, that went to either Springfield or Fort Wayne from like 1965 to 2000, um, Kadai was an Estonian that came to the United States. I don't remember who he did his doctorate under. I think it may have been um, uh, Helmut Tielicki. It was someone, someone like kind of a major name, if I recall. But um, – no, no, no. I repent of that. He did it at St. Louis. But but he was very much an expert on uh, 19th to 20th century continental theology, I'll say. I, I had an STM class with him on that. Um, that was really quite good, although there were like three of us in the class. It was a ton of work. Um, but I had medieval church with Kate I. And uh, it, was, it was interesting. It was good. But it was a long time ago, my friend. Well, you know, I'll tell you, I did have one class, one STM class with Kate I, and it was, like you said, a ton of work. And there was only two students, me and one other guy. Right. And it was like late Luther. Yeah. Was the, was the I think I remember you taking this class. <laughs> oh, man. I probably learned more in that class. And we had to, like, you know, we had to write a paper for every class. And, you know, we critiqued each other's papers. That's what we did. Right. For every class, we had to write a paper, and you know, or maybe like I think it might have maybe it met once a week or something like right. that. So maybe one paper a week, but we critiqued each me and this one other guy. And um, man, I, I remember learning a lot. I don't remember Kate I actually doing a lot of teaching, more, more right. a lot of just sort of facilitating. But um, yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean that. 19th century continental theology class I had with him wow. was when we actually wow. read Schleiermacher. <laughs> we read the whole thing and and kind of worked through the whole thing. And uh, I mean, and it's always interesting with history. And I know we're totally down a rabbit hole and we haven't even gotten to yeah. our topic. Right. But um, what's always interesting about history is is kind of dispelling, either dispelling or recognizing where stereotypes are and that sometimes they're true. Sometimes, you know, reality is often uh, both better and worse than a stereotype. So, yeah, it was it was a really tough class, though. I remember that for sure. Interesting. Well, I so have, what are you teaching? Yeah, I had a, uh, a remarkable thing happen on Sunday, and that is that I finished Hebrews in our Sunday Bible class. I think it I think we ended up with uh, 26 sessions on Hebrews, so we did about a half a chapter a week, roughly. Um, So we finished Hebrews on Sunday, and so this Sunday we are going to be starting on on the book of Ephesians. 
So mm, I'm nice. I'm kind of a kind of starting to go through Tom Winger's Concordia commentary on that and uh and and just start to outline my thoughts on how to approach that book and uh, I will work on writing it up at least the first section for that tomorrow and uh and I'm looking forward to it he uh, Ephesians rather is a is really a a wonderful book it's one of I don't know I it's one of my favorite Pauline books uh, it, it it has such a rich ecclesiology. There's so many things going on in there that are remarkable. So, so I think that'll be a lot of fun. But that's what I've been doing is is kind of getting ready for that as well. You know, I'm I'm not sure that I ever taught a class on Ephesians. Hmm. I, I'm not sure that I ever did. I, I know that I taught frequently um, Ephesians five. Sure, of course, you know, with marriage. Uh huh. Yeah, and I and I I use different things out of Ephesians, but I can't recall that I ever taught an actual cl- class on Ephesians. Are there any biblical books that you have not taught on yet that you still want to? You really kind of eager to? Well, By now there's, you've probably reached. There's a number of um, of of Old Testament prophets that I have not that I have not taught through in a Bible class. Now, with most of those, I have at least kind of sort of taught through them because remember with our academy we would do these daily readings and then we would kind of do a midrash off of that and we and so we really covered nearly the whole scriptures in that in a couple time you know and over over like six years or something but uh so there are some there new testament books mm, I, I, there may be a couple Couple Pauline epistles. I'm not sure I've done Second Corinthians. Um, Did you ever do Revelation? Yeah, I've done Revelation. Every mm. every pastor gets snookered into doing Revelation once or mm. twice, I think. Um, so I've done Revelation. Certainly, all the Gospels. I don't know. It would be an interesting thing. I one of the yeah. things that I wish that I had done better, kind of from the start, was keeping track of what I was teaching. Yeah, and yeah. and keeping more careful notes on on kind of what I was doing and how I was doing it. Uh, last week when I met with this uh, neighboring pastor of mine and we were talking about organizing sermons, he was telling me about how for 25 years now he has been, he has basically a Word document for every book of the Bible. And anytime he teaches or preaches on a text out of there and, and in this Word document, he's got the Greek and the Hebrew all kind of laid out. And then anytime he teaches on it, he pours all of his notes or his sermons or whatever he does in there into this document and then dates it and kind of keeps track of it. So he's got his, you know, this massive file on Matthew and on, on you know, some books and not much on others. And uh, I don't like the idea of keeping him in a Word file, but I love the idea of sort of building your own kind of running commentary on these books. I can see a lot yeah. of benefit for a pastor in doing that. Um, I don't know. It yeah. may be uh, maybe too late for me to start on that. I, nah, I don't know. I probably should just figure it out and do it. Yeah. So speaking of a book of the Bible, we're kind of working our way through uh, First Timothy. And uh, we managed to uh, uh, have a good time somehow discussing First Timothy 2 last week. Uh, mm-hmm. Talked a little bit about uh, service of women in the church and a few other fun, uh, fun topics. So we're on chapter three for this week. So if you're uh, following along at home and you want to take a look at it, I'm going to read 
First Timothy chapter 3. Uh, I'll read it out of the ESV. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. Thus far the chapter. Yeah, very good. Yeah. <clears throat> this, so, well, I, I feel like we're, we're at a little bit of a flashback here, at least for me, because these were uh, texts that... In our uh, previous life, we kind of spent a lot of time talking about, at least it feels like it to me, uh, back in the day when we did admissions for uh, preparing uh -huh. men to be to be pastors. Um, you know, anyone desires the office of overseer, he desires a noble task or a noble work. And so, you know, you kind of hold that up. I can't I can't even. I don't even think I could count the number of conversations that I had with basically the, I feel guilty because I want to do this. <laughs> you know, shouldn't God be calling me? Should I want to become a pastor or is that wrong? I don't know. That's, I, I don't yeah. think that that's quite the point here, but maybe it is. You know, I, um, I'm struck by how many times in, in church history, great men, who, who ended up being great leaders in the church were absolutely um, afraid of it. Right. Or absolutely uh, refused it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, know? right. Uh, Ambrose. <laughs> All kinds I, of stories Ambrose, with that. Ambrose is a great example, as is Gregory the Great, Pope right. Gregory the First. Oh, right. Um, you know, fled the city, went and lived in the forest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you know? But yet, then became quite an effective, uh, an effective leader in in many ways. And um, you know, yes, it's 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 a 
noble thing to desire it, but it's also kind of telling when someone says, you know, this isn't what I really chose for myself. Um, some, you know, the church spoke or the church came to me or they, they sought me out. You know, that's, that's also quite significant when that happens. Sure. And there is, um, I don't know. I feel like there somewhere there, there is a, a balance where, um, Ambrose notwithstanding, I don't think that we should ordain people by force. No. <laughs> that seems, a, a generally speaking, a poor idea. Uh, mm-hmm. But at the same time, neither do I think it's it's the sort of thing where if somebody if somebody wants it too much, right? I, my uh, my radar kind of goes up and and wonders whether they have kind of do they really understand even what they're wanting or why. Well, you know, and as as we both kind of played with that quote from Martin Luther, right? That right. the ministry is no bunny dance. Yep. This is no yep. simple, silly thing. Yeah, we almost named the podcast that. <laughs> In fact, if I recall, I wanted to name the podcast that and you wouldn't let us. <laughs> oh, I don't know. Something like that. Bunny dance just just I don't know. That's no bunny dance. Word. It is a great phrase. It really is. Of course it makes me think of um I don't know, Monty Python or something like that. Yeah, but uh yeah, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and you got lots of lots of remarkable words or language in this in this list. Um, first of all, you've got the just just the word overseer, mm-hmm. you know, episcopus. You know, and I I don't know how you how you translate that, but I would I would put it at something like um Probably most literally something like uh, visitor. I mean, that's really kind of what it means, if I recall. It means someone that goes out and uh, and right. It, this is the the episcopus was the person that did the census. <laughs> they were the they were the person that went out and counted people, and uh, so they were the visitor. Literally, um, kind of an interesting word to use for pastor. I yeah. Think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that much about why Paul might have, you know, might have chosen that. But what do you think about this list? I mean, you know, it's almost like he's um, it's almost like a, a, a morality list. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. there's a couple of there's a couple of things, you know, that have to do with aptitude, like specifically apt to teach. Right. Know, but there's not he doesn't mention a lot of skills. No, is what I'm trying to say. Right, he doesn't say you must have X memorized. You know, there's no. none of none of that kind of thing. It is mostly, yeah, mostly attitude isn't quite the right word, but but you are talking about the about the life of the person. He's talking about the character, yeah, and and the virtue, right? Um, you know, but you know, I'm just thinking that you know, like a one ad for today would would probably emphasize skills and um experience right things like that and right. he, you know and he doesn't overlook those two things you know he does say that they mustn't be a recent convert so right. you know they must have time in the church right um and you have and, this managing your household i i found that a go. very That's interesting yeah. parallel between managing the house and managing the household of God. I mean, that's, that's you, really the picture there. 
And you know, that would be illegal to do today. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're not allowed to ask a job applicant. I mean, in a regular job right, search. Right. You're not allowed to ask them if they're married, if they have kids. Um, you know, even when I got the call to come out to teach here at Concordia, a university in Irvine, um, when I came out and was being interviewed, um, you know, there was one setting where we, where it was like all the faculty from Christ College, so like 20, 20 professors, if they were all there in a room with me facing them and them all just peppering <laughs> me with questions. That does sound like fun. Oh, wow. And the newest, <laughs> other than myself, the newest person in the room said, oh, are you married? And they're like, oh, no, you can't ask that. You can't ask. And I, I went ahead and answered because while they can't ask, I am allowed to, to talk about my family. But yeah, you couldn't, you couldn't really, in a job search, so to speak, you couldn't really do that today. But mm. I, I'm with you, though. I think it is fascinating that the, the guy who can manage his house is also the guy that can oversee the, the church and, and um, that Paul, would, who himself is not married and has no children and really doesn't know what he's talking about um, <laughs> it, it is actually right. making this point right right now i will uh, point out that today we wouldn't actually have to ask them because of facebook and twitter and <laughs> and google foo you don't have to ask it's all out there and uh yeah. you know who knows in six months you may be able to just say oh i see on your phone that <laughs> yeah <laughs> whatever we'll see that's all another topic i guess but yeah, there's a so you you get lots of lots of this stuff able to teach, um, capable of capable of teaching. But you have things like not quarrelsome, not violent, not a uh, not a money lover, um, one who's able to keep his children submissive. Boy, there's a loaded word for us. We kind of yeah. talked about that last week, though. Yeah. Um, not a recent convert. Verse six. Uh, for fear that he become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Um, now, that is a tricky one for a lot of reasons, because, first of all, recent is a big word. Mm -hmm. You know, what does recent mean? Does yeah, that mean right. five years? Does that mean 10 years? Does that mean two years? You know, what's the mm -hmm. how recent is recent? Um, but the the premise is. This whole Christianity thing is not new to you. Yeah. That yeah. that you're at home, that you kind of recognize the – you recognize many of the pitfalls. Uh, I think we've talked about before one of the things that I, uh, uh, that I struggle with as a parish pastor is anytime you get new members, everybody kind of uh, – it, we sort of become sh like Lutheran sharks and we sort of circle around the new people to figure out what, what positions can we put them in? What jobs can we get them to do at church so that right. the new, you know, so that somebody else doesn't have to do it. And, right. and I always feel like that's just the worst possible thing that you could do to a person because the more you're involved in the leadership of the church, the more clear it is how sinful and just, broken things are and that it's a miracle that anything good happens at all. <laughs> yeah. I, and I don't mean that as a criticism of my own congregation. I mean, that's just our nature as, as broken sinners. Um, and oh, for yeah. a new convert, that can be a stumbling block. Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, yeah. I think that's, you know, I had a, I had a, 
a, a guy on my church council one time say, boy, you know, it really takes the shine off of things. <laughs> you know, when you, It really when does. <laughs> uh, it's like, yeah, it, you know, it, you, you do see kind of humanity and you realize that this is hard work and you realize that the devil is opposing us and there's all sorts of human uh, flaws and frailties. But, um, yeah, I think a person could either become – um, puffed up, like Paul says, and um, fall into the condemnation of the devil, or they could just become so disoriented or disenfranchised and, and upset with the, you know, the corruption that they see. <laughs> I don't mean corruption necessarily, but the the, the sinfulness. Yeah. Oh, no, qu- no question. But uh, so you've got can't be new to the church; must be a recent convert. But on the outside, you also have must be thought of well by outsiders. So while they can't be new to the church, they do have to have some level of public face. I'm not sure if Mm -hmm. that's a pointing publicly, but you couldn't have someone that would be considered a lawbreaker. Right. As a, as a pastor. Someone must be well thought of by outsiders. You know, I, I, I've, I was just having this thought in my mind this morning, not this exact verse, but I was just thinking this morning about, you know, how many non-believers do you really know? Oh, you right. Know? I mean, I mean, how many non-believers know who you are other than, you know, like maybe parents of the kids in your school, you've got them. I mean, sure. some of them may be not believers or may not be church people at all. Um, I don't know. It was just I was just I was just pondering that earlier about how many non-believers do I know and and you know who who know me and and you know how well are we known even outside of our own our own little circle. If I could rewrite that, you could almost put it as he must be thought of by outsiders. <laughs> <laughs> Not even well yeah. thought of, simply thought of, right. recognized that this exists. Sure. And of course, every every pastor uh, faces the temptation of becoming so inward focused that you forget about the broader community, the yeah. the physical community you live in, etc. And of course, the the opposite temptation is also there to become so outward focused that you actually forget about the sheep that God has entrusted to you. And there has to be, it has to be both. Now, what does that uh, well thought of by outsiders look like? Does that mean sending your kids to the local schools? Does that mean getting involved with the chamber of commerce? Um, What does that actually look like today? I think as a Really interesting question that I don't I don't have a brilliant answer to. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, I don't know either. I, I mean, I've tr- I, I, you know, you you mentioned Chamber of Commerce when I when I first got to my last parish, I I joined the Rotary Club, and while that's not an automatic thing that every pastor needs to do, I found that for myself, especially as a new person in the, in the town, that was a great thing to do. Hmm. Um, I, I, you know, you, yeah, I felt like that was a really good move. I, I met and got to know leaders in the community, um, some of whom were other Christians. I mean, there were other clergy in the in the um, Rotary Club, and you know, not to mention that Rotary does a lot of good work. Sure. Um, you know, they do a lot of great charitable things, uh, and it's fun, and you know, it's enjoyable to be part of that organization, but. Um, I learned, I met within six months, I met more people in the community that, than I would have met 
in six years without it. Hmm. So, I mean, I, if I were talking to a new pastor myself right now, I, that'd be one of the things I would say, join the lions club or something. I mean, you know, they don't have, they're not a lodge. Uh, this is a service right. organization, right? A civic organization, so, really. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, rotary, I mean, I could, I could go on and list all the good things that they do. So you get a, you get a sense that you're doing charitable work, but you're also meeting a lot of business leaders and, and government leaders, right? Um, you know, the things like in our in our Rotary Club, there was the mayor, the head of the library, other clergy, a bunch of business people, bankers, real estate people, you know, you name yeah. it. Hmm. Uh, that's a that's an interesting I think that's a question worth uh worth pondering a little bit. Maybe we should stick a pin in that as one that we'll come back to at some point. Now sure. now then Timothy moves into uh talking about deacons. So we get overseer, episcopus, and then we get, uh, and then we get deacon, uh, or deacons, and I, pre- yeah, diaconus. I, I presume that we're talking about deacons like Stephen and Philip, and kind of the Acts model of deacons. I mean, deacon is a is another one of these drive a truck through words for us today. But I would presume that we're talking about the this office that is connected to the office of overseer but is not exactly the same it's a i think it's a tough one we really don't have exactly this thing in the at least not in the missouri synod um we have no we don't have sort of we don't have well i mean we have deacons but it's not the same i you know i mean we have elders we have you know church volunteers um but but we for whatever reason in, in the Missouri Synod we don't typically call them deacons we we have the office of deaconess yeah um, but and we've got you know people that do what deacons did um, most likely sure but um, for whatever reason we don't we don't have deacons we have elders which of course is not it's <laughs> not actually an elder right, right biblically exactly. speaking either but that's a right that's its own problem i suppose well yeah. out here and and i think that this is more common on the coast than it is in the midwest but out here we do have uh, a lay deacon program and so we'll have men that that typically serve smaller smaller parishes parishes that can't afford a full-time pastor and, and again they're not a pastor there there's no there's no presumption that they are um, right. But they do some pastoral work, lead the liturgy, preach, you know, don't sac- mm-hmm. celebrate the sacrament. But um, I, I mean, there's so there's some there. And I do think that that's uh, that's messy. I'll, I'll put it I'll put it that way. It's definitely yeah. messy. Now, just one other thought on that, and that is that the in the Lutheran Church Canada, you have the office of pastor and then every other office of the church, whether you're talking about a teacher, DCE, um, you know, whatever, director of Christian outreach, etc., everybody else is called either a deacon or a deaconess. That's kind of how they, how they mm. lump it, um, is ordained and commissioned, and, uh, and that those commissioned offices are, are sort of all put under that category. And I kind of like that, at least in the simplicity sense, but yeah, but that would be a tough sell for us because I just don't think we we think in that language. Now, uh, a couple things on this. A lot of it is um, is almost a, an exact repetition or nearly exact repetition. Uh, you do have in verse ten that these deacons are to be tested, 
uh, and and uh, only are they to serve as deacons if they prove themselves to be without blame. Um. So, yeah. Hmm. hmm. Well, interestingly, again, the family is brought in. Right. Um, right. The, the wives, likewise, must be dignified. Hmm. Yeah. But yeah. And that's another word that we uh, that we really. Mm-hmm. I don't know. That's I, I look at these lists and some of them seem anachronistic to me. Some of them are um, are obvious. But some of them, I don't even, honestly, I'm not even sure what those mean in for the 21st century Lutheranism. Um, that's pretty. That's pretty difficult to sort of even even put it in in context. Hmm. Well, you know, I mean, managing their children and their households well gets mentioned twice, yep. right? I mean, it gets yep. mentioned for both the pastor and for the deacon, and so obviously this is an issue for Paul and right. And um, I, it's 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 of course it's important, and of course it makes sense, um, but. You know, don't we all know pastors who are faithful pastors who have at least one wild kid or one sure. kid that's you know not in the church? I mean, you know, unfortunately that that can happen as well. Absolutely, and uh, I mean, and honestly, you could look at this list. Do you know pastors that don't manage their money well? Hmm. <laughs> sure, <laughs> I don't have to look real far right, right, right. to say that. Um, uh-huh. But yeah. yeah, there are. There are lots of things in here. And, and you know, speaking as a pastor, this this is a list that on the one hand uh, I feel somewhat condemned by, that I recognize yeah. that I am not the perfect model of this. It also gives me something uh, – I don't, I don't want this to be taken in a pietistic way, but something for me to be looking for and striving for. Um, mm-hmm. that to recognize that this is this is God's expectation of me as a pastor, and you know, as we say in the confession, uh, you know, I'm sorry for all of this. I want to do better. That, that's yeah. that's how private confession ends, and I think rightly so. Interesting. Any final thoughts? I know there's a a little bit more on the chapter, but uh, we're starting to run a little long on time here, or at least for me. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think that's okay. It's time to move. Yeah. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, you can go to the crux of the matter dot net slash podcast slash fifty one. You can write us at feedback at the crux of the matter dot net, or you can find either Peppercorn or Stigmire on various places on the interwebs if you can remember how to spell either one of them. Good luck with that. Yeah. So on our joy list uh, I will uh, I will start us off here, and my uh, my bringer of joy this week is a book that I actually got a review copy of. So first of all, that brings me joy because because I got it for free. I mean that's hey, got to be book. good. Yep. Um, and the name of the book is "Feasting in a Famine of the Word: Lutheran Preaching in the Twenty First Century." Sounds like an interesting title. What it is. Let me pull it up here. What it is is a uh, series about 20 or 25 essays uh, written by a variety of Lutheran pastors 
many, if not most of whom are in the United States, but you're, you're also going to find some European and African pastors, uh, edited by uh, Mark Burkholz, Jacob Corzine, and Jonathan Mummy, and uh, published by Wiffenstock. And, uh, and it's uh, just, just coming out. So right now it isn't available on Amazon. You can get it through Wiffenstock, and, and I will uh, put a link in our show notes. But uh, soon it will be available on Amazon, and it's got a lot of a uh, lot of really interesting stuff in it. I'm just kind of starting to work my way through it, and uh, I think that they have hit upon a lot of the questions, frankly, that we talk about in here uh, a lot of time. Is uh, is what does it mean to uh, what does it mean to preach? What are the biblical patterns for preaching? How do we uh, how are we to understand it in the 21st century? Um, you know, all sorts of stuff. So I'm I'm enjoying are the, are reading it very much. The, are, are those some of the title headings that you just kind of went over? Well, I was I'm, ask just to give you title. a few of the a yep. few of the titles. Um, Preaching is foolishness by Stephen Paulson. Um, the real presence and liturgical preaching by John Kleinig. Uh, Gloomy revelations or comforting doctrines by Esco Murto. Let's see a couple a couple others here. Just uh, again, this is just a. A fairly random selection here. Um, Assuring the Faithful on Faith and Doubt in Lutheran Preaching by Jacob Corzine. The Difference of Differentiating Address, the We, I, and You of Preaching and the Gospel as the Gospel by Jonathan Mummy. So there's lots of yeah, lots right. of good topics, and I'm, I'm really looking yeah. forward to digging into it. I'll try to talk about it a little bit more maybe next time. Yeah, I saw it advertised, and... Um... I, I someone had posted it up on Facebook or whatever, so I saw I saw the cover and I thought it looked interesting. I hadn't heard about it or known anything about it prior. No, nope, me neither. So uh, yeah, it's good. Cool, it's good. Cool. So what's bringing you joy? Well, you know, so I've I've mentioned a lot of times in this podcast um, that I teach this church history class and I love it. And I spent a lot of time trying to figure out which textbook. I wasn't quite happy with the textbook that um, uh, that other professors in the past had used, and so I was exploring. Well, anyway, my point is that um, I, I'm not going to mention the textbook that I chose, but I am going to mention a textbook that I didn't choose that maybe I should have chosen. And, um, and, and it's called, yeah, it's, it's because as I get further along, I'm, I'm appreciating it more and more. Gotcha. And it's called, it's, I don't think I've ever mentioned this one before. So beg, I beg your pardon if it has been a, a repeat. It's called church history in plain language hmm. by Bruce Shelley, church history in so. plain language. Yeah, and and it and it really is. I mean, it, the nice thing about it is it's a good read. It's a very. I have some criticisms of it. It gets a bit. I feel like it has an obvious Baptist kind of prejudice in a few spots. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but you know, it's it's it is a very good read. And for something that like church history, of which our students know mostly, most of them know very little coming in. Um, you know, a textbook that they will actually read is probably worth its weight in platinum. Oh yeah, I'm sure. So it's definitely on my, if I ever teach this again, which I hope to next year as well, this, this might be the textbook I go with. Cool. Well, that sounds like an interesting one. I will, uh, yeah, I will have to, uh, I will have to look it up. 
Very fun. It's very fun indeed. Yeah, it's worth it's worth having on your shelf if you like history, and um, you know, even if you don't like history, this is a great way to kind of maybe get re. It's not a small book, but it, like I said, it's a good read. Being in plain language, it is. Right. It's 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 a well told. It's you know, it tells church history like a story, and uh, you know, I find that I, I enjoy reading every chapter that I pick up. I like it. Fun. Neat. Well, I think that brings us to the end here. You have anything, uh, any final words for our listeners, Scott? No, no final words here. All right. Very good. Well, on that fine note, we will see you guys next time. All right. Goodbye.